This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Wow, Slater Crusaders, how are you? America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Saturday. Let's get right to it. What do we got today? Looking through the uh, the agenda of the day. Uh, oh, we got to talk about pepper spray. I was at the Trump rally on Thursday night in Costa Mesa, uh, Orange County, which turned into a disaster <laughs> afterwards. So we'll talk about that, everything I saw there. Met a lot of great people. <clears throat> I didn't. I, I, went to, I hung out mostly with the anti-Trump protesters waving Mexican flags, which was something. Uh, I want to talk about Henry Ward Beecher. Gave a sermon about 1860 or so, and it's incredibly relevant to today. So we got lots to do. But right now, I want to go back into history. One of my favorite things to do. Um, so what's the proper background here? I haven't... I, I kind of want to save this until we get a little closer to the convention, and we'll see how things are shaping up. But... We might as well introduce this now, and then as we lead up to July, we will uh, go into a little more depth in each of, of these instances. First things first, there's nothing new under the sun. We talk about a, a brokered convention like it's unprecedented and unbelievable and all that. Now, it's definitely not normal. It's been a while, but a brokered convention is nothing new. And I, you know, I hear Donald Trump talk about how... Um, Cruz is mathematically eliminated. I talked to Trump yesterday on my local show, and uh, he talks about you know he can't win and all that stuff. He can't get twelve thirty seven, but it's still not unprecedented for him for Donald for excuse me for Cruz to win. All Cruz has to do is keep Trump from getting twelve thirty seven, and then win on the second ballot. Not unprecedented. The Republican Party had its first convention in eighteen fifty six. Since then, there have been ten conventions where 10 brokered conventions and I, I define a broker convention as a convention where the nominee does not win on the first ballot so goes to a second ballot there's been 10 of those in seven of those 10 the nominee who was picked to, to win right the guy who was picked to be the nominee was not the front runner going in are you with me on that 10 brokered conventions where the winner took more than one ballot. So no one went in with the 1237 that was needed. In seven of those 10, the guy who won wasn't the leader. It wasn't the front runner going in. So to bring it to today's language, uh, it would be like a Cruz or Kasich being the nominee, not Trump, who's the front runner. Now, how successful were those nominees? Were those seven people? I'll tell you that in a little bit here. 
But let's start with the beginning. Let's just do a quick overview of this. And then uh, as we get a little closer to July, if it's relevant, uh, we'll go into more depth in, into each of these conventions. But 1860, William Seward from New York, he had 37% of the delegates coming into the convention. After three ballots, the convention settled on the distant second place contender who only went in with 22% of the delegates. His name is Abraham Lincoln. And we've talked about this convention before, but Lincoln was nobody's first choice, everybody's second choice. Right? But but no one could no they couldn't get a winner, so everyone went with their second choice. It happened to be Abraham Lincoln. And I think that's Kasich's plan, right? And we'll get to him in a little bit. So that was 1860. 1876, he had the senator from Maine. His name's James Blaine. He had 38% of the delegates. About three other guys had 13% each. And then uh, the guy in fifth place was the governor of Ohio, Rutherford B. Hayes. And after seven ballots, the fifth place guy, Rutherford B. Hayes became the nominee. He was the compromise candidate, which again is Kasich's play. How wild would it be if Kasich comes out? If you get, I'm just throwing it out there. Small chance, but it's happened before. That's my whole point of this segment. You have the never Trump people. You have the never Cruz people. They'll never come to a decision. And, and at the end of the day, after seven ballots, like in 1876, they're like, all right, fine. Go with Kasich. <laughs> the compromise candidate that's what he's going that's what he's banking on what a night that would be um this is one of the craziest 1880 you had ulysses s grant the clear front runner going into the convention he had 40 percent of, of the delegates clear front runner because he was a former president and war hero most people don't know that ulysses s grant served two terms as president then took four years off he traveled the world and then came back and tried to be president again or it'd be like it'd be like uh, George W. Bush running for president this go around, right? So he was the front runner, obviously. Blaine again, the main senator. He had thirty seven percent of the delegates, All right? So it's a pretty close race between Ulysses S. Grant and and uh, and Blaine. After thirty six ballots, thirty six. Could you imagine if that happens in Cleveland? Thirty six ballots, the longest ever. The guy who won was a congressman from Ohio, James Garfield. James Garfield. Entered the convention, right? So Ulysses S. Grant's for, Grant, 40% of the delegates. Uh, Blaine, 37%. Ulysses, or excuse me, James Garfield had zero delegates. <laughs> None, no delegates at all. And I'm looking at the, the voting per round of the 36. Every round, Garfield had zero, 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 zero. There was one or two rounds where he had one or two votes. That's it. But mostly zero, zero, zero. The 34th round, he had 17 votes. The 35th round, he had 55 votes. And then the uh, the final round, he had 399 votes and won the whole thing. What in the world? That'd be wild. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like Jindal winning the nomination, right? And after all the ballots, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, Oh, he wins. Crazy. That was 1880. 1888, Ohio Senator John Sherman, 28% of the delegates. And then you had a federal judge from uh, Indiana. He had 13%. And then you had a lawyer from New York uh, who had 12%. And then fourth place, Indiana Senator Benjamin Harrison. He had 10% of the delegates. Fourth place going in. He won after eight ballots. I bring it to this century, or I guess last century. uh, 1920, front runner, General Leonard Wood, 29% of the delegates. 
Illinois Governor Frank Loudon, 21%. California Senator Johnson with 13%. And the fourth place guy going in, Ohio Senator Will, uh, Warren Harding. He had 6% of the delegates going in. After 10 ballots, he won the nomination. Not only that, but when he went on to run for president, right, when he went to the general election, he won the whole thing with 60% of the popular vote, which was the second most dominant performance ever. Think about that. 1920, nominate, nominating process, the guy's in fourth place. Wins it and then wins the popular vote in the general 60%. Dominant. All right, almost done. 1940, Dewey had the most delegates going in. 37%. He was the governor of New York. Taft had 20%. And then there was a Wall Street businessman, Wendell Wilkie, with 11%. Now, follow me on this one. This is crazy. Wendell Wilkie was a Democrat until a year before... The convention. Wendell Wilkie, New York businessman who had been a Democrat until the year before, he was a delegate for FDR eight years prior. Parallels there, you with me? Had 11% of the delegates going in. Third place, after six ballots, he was the compromise choice. New York City businessman. That was 1940. He obviously lost in the general. And the most recent brokered convention... 1952, Taft entered with 35% of the delegates. Eisenhower had 26. After two votes, they went with Dwight D. Eisenhower. And you're thinking, okay, hold on, Slater. You said 1956 was the last brokered convention, but I keep hearing that the last brokered convention was 1976 uh, between Ford and Reagan. Not technically. Uh, That was a close convention, There was a battle on the floor because it was so close going in, but Ford won on the first ballot, right? So again, my definition of a brokered convention, I think it's the definition of one, is where it it takes more than one ballot. It needs extra ballots. So Ford and and Reagan, it it was on the first ballot. It was close, and there was some trading going on on the floor, but it it still ended on the first. So uh, 1952 was the most recent. So anyway, there you have it. Quick overview. I know I ran through that, but... um, there's been 10 contested convent, 10 brokered conventions in Republican Party history. In seven of them, the nominee was the person who did not go into the convention with the most delegates. And of those seven who, who won the nomination, six of them went on to become president. Six of those, six of the compromise candidates, if you will, went on to become the president. Uh, now, totally with you. You roll your eyes at this. I'm not. I'm not really making any point here, other than just I like history. It's kind of neat. And when other, when, like, what other time would this even be relevant at all, right? So I might, might as well share a little history here. Um, and it kind of resembles my least favorite sports fact, which is uh, when when the uh, Eagles play the Patriots, and uh, the announcers say, "Well, the Eagles uh, have beaten the Patriots uh, 40 times in the last uh, 60 years," and you're like. Who cares? Like that, <laughs> totally different teams. Like the fact that the Eagles beat the Patriots in in 1968 has no bearing on this game whatsoever. So I, I, that's a stupid fact, and that's true with this as well. Like the fact that what happened in the 1880 election has no bearing on what happened, or what's going to happen in a couple months here in Cleveland. Of course, um, we realize that. I'd share it just because it's not unprecedented if something crazy does happen in Cleveland. Certainly not unprecedented. Pretty common, actually. And how fascinating 
that that's been the case because, I mean, gosh, if we gave the nominee, if the Republicans gave the nominee to the front runner every time, we'd be talking about President Seward instead of Lincoln and President Dewey and Blaine and Sherman. Interesting. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Now let's talk about the 1237. I will do that when we get back. And also Trump's unfavorability. This is something I, I want everyone to uh, to ignore from this point forward. I'll make my argument as to why. We'll do it next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Real estate agents, I trust.com. Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders. Thanks for being here. Slater Radio on, uh, on Twitter. So I want to, uh, we're just talking about the convention, convention history, Republican convention history since 1856. Pretty fascinating. Um, let's bring it to today. So Donald Trump is, is not the presumptive nominee yet. And I don't want people to get mad at me yet. Almost, (laughs) almost. Now I predicted Trump months ago to sweep every state. I I thought he'd just take the whole thing outright a long time ago. But right now I... I don't. I don't think he'll get to twelve thirty-seven. I, I, I don't. It's going to be close. It, it comes down to Indiana next week. We'll have a different conversation. It really does. Indiana's uh, this Tuesday, um, and if he crushes it there, um, it really. I mean, if, if Cruz, if Cruz splits Indiana, there's still hope. If Trump takes it all, then then I think that's probably it. But now, if Trump doesn't get to twelve thirty-seven, then Cruz is going to win on a landslide on the second ballot. Now let's talk about, so that, that's point number one. You with me? He's not the presumptive nominee. And I don't mean that, you know, at first, I think that should be good news for everyone. I think if you're a Cruz supporter, you should get a little bit of hope out of that. You should be like, oh, good. Like there's still hope. There's still chance. If you're a Trump supporter, that should be encouraging. It should be a little kick in the butt. Like we don't have this thing done yet. And especially if you're a Trump supporter in Indiana or California, like you better not rest on your laurels, right? It's, it's, you haven't won the series yet. You're not, you're not done. You haven't crossed the finish line. So keep going. All right, so that, that should be an encouraging statement for everyone, no matter who you support. Now let's talk about Trump's uh, and the general election. All right, let's assume he wins. He's the, the nominee. I hear a lot of people saying that, that Trump's negatives are too high. Right? Trump's unapproval rating, is that what that is? Or negative, negative ratings, whatever. It's around 70%. And people say, oh, if, if his negatives are so high, there's no way he can beat Hillary. I want to talk about that. First, a general statement. Every poll that you see with general election matchups, ignore them completely. They mean nothing. 
it's, it means nothing. So every poll that has the hypothetical Cruz versus Hillary, Trump versus Hillary, Sanders versus Kasich, or whatever, completely ignore them. They mean nothing. You got to think about how these polls are done, right? They call someone up on a landline. Okay? I don't even have a landline. They ask them a ton of questions. And then at the end, they play this game of, and by the way, they call you know, 500 people. And then at the end, they, they play this game of, well, who would you vote for if it were Trump versus Clinton? Okay. And let's say the person they call up is a Cruz fan. They might say Clinton just in spite. Right? They're like, oh, I'm never voting Trump, Clinton! Or, or whatever. Right? But that's so incredibly inaccurate. And I don't mean that, I don't mean to be disparaging towards people but who answered that question, but I think the biggest thing is we haven't even imagined fully what a Trump-Clinton race would look like. We think about it here and there, but we haven't turned that page. We haven't turned that corner completely. So we're not fully weighing everything. We're still in our process over here. And we have a vague idea of what Trump-Clinton would look like. But until we get there, we haven't really put all of our brain power behind it. So when people you know predict, first of all, who they would vote for in that, that's one thing. But then also to, to do this whole like, well, I'm making a prediction on who the country would vote for in that scenario. Like we're not even close to that yet. We're really not. So wait a couple of weeks and we will. Second point, the 70% unfavorability. That's terrible, by the way. But keep in mind who his proponent's going to be. Hillary's unfavorability is 56%. So that's a 14-point gap that Trump has to overcome? Well, that's not hard. Everyone assumes that Trump's unfavorability is, is 70% and Clinton's is two. Right? Everyone loves Clinton. No, everyone hates her too. And there's a 14-point gap for Trump to overcome. Maybe a lot for most politicians, but not for, for Trump. First, he's going to make her unfavorable ratings way worse than they are now. He hasn't even started attacking her yet. We've talked for months now about how he's going to change his tune, change his tactics, going to become more likable. Trump has charisma. Hillary does not. We like charismatic people. So over time, people will start to like him more. He'll tone down the rhetoric a little bit, become more likable. Um, But Hillary, she'll always be unlikable. There's There's no improvement for her. Also, Hillary's email scandal is going to become a bigger deal. As we get closer, um, remember a couple months ago, it must've been in, um, Iowa and the media made a big deal. They said, Oh, Bill Clinton's going to make his debut on the campaign trail. And he came out and then Trump just crushed him and brought up all the sex scandal stuff. And that was it. Like that was the end of Bill Clinton. Like he he went away and that was it. So Trump's going to dig all that stuff back up and Clinton's uh, unfavorability is going to go higher and, and all the rest. Um, about the email server, he put her in a double bind. So if Hillary gets prosecuted, then, then that's good for Trump. If she doesn't, then all he's going to do is talk about how the system's rigged. I think the best line that Trump's come up with is the word rigged. You know, you got low energy jab and little Marco and all that and line Ted. Rigged is the best thing because Americans don't like rigged systems. We like fairness. We don't like games that are rigged. We don't like cheaters. We don't like athletes who take steroids. We don't like rigged games. And Trump, just like he's been saying, Colorado's rigged. Whether it is or not, it doesn't matter. It just says it and people, that's it. But he's going to say that about Hillary not getting prosecuted. He's going to say that's the result of a rigged system. And that's powerful.
Right, so that's going to be a big difference. And finally, don't forget, we've been saying this forever, Trump is first and foremost a celebrity, and celebrities play by different rules than regular people and by politicians. Politicians are hated and remain hated. But celebrities have wild swings in, in favorability and everything. We, we love Britney Spears, we hate Britney Spears. We love her again, then we hate her again. And we build her back up, and then we say, oh, she's so fat! And we tear her back down, and now she has a Vegas show that sold, sells out every night. Right? Name the celebrity, they have their ups and downs. Trump is first and foremost a celebrity. He'll have his ups and downs, and he'll control it properly. But again, he's got to cross the finish line, and he hasn't done that yet. 1-888-900-3393. Talk about basketball rings next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, thanks for being here. Thanks for spreading the word. Slater Radio on Twitter. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Um, we got a lot going on our uh, Facebook page right now. So we talked to Ted Cruz, excuse me, um, Donald Trump yesterday, and Carla Fiorina yesterday too. It was a busy show, my local show. Uh, Thursday night was Trump's rally in Orange County, which is like an hour, hour and fifteen minutes north of uh, where I'm sitting right now. So we went up there. And I uh, had some fun with that, hanging out with the protesters there. Luckily, we left before it got crazy, crazy, but it's plenty crazy. So on, on the Facebook page right now, we have like a 30-second video of all the Trump protesters with the American flag yelling. Tur- they literally turned around from the, pro- the people, the Trump supporters in line. They turned around, circled me, and went, racist, racist, racist. <laughs> Did that for 30 seconds. That was cool. So... Check that out on the Facebook page as well. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. And we have some live feed. We did a little bit of live as much as we could, some Facebook live. But the internet was so bad there that the videos are pretty short. But there's a couple of those uh, as well. So you can see what it was like inside the anti-Trump protesting rally. Uh, And we'll talk all about it coming up in the last hour of this shoe. But again, search for the Mike Slater Show on the book. All right, now, if I may... Ted Cruz in Indiana the other day. And I read this headline in USA Today. And I'm going to take you on my my journey here, my emotional journey. The headline is USA Today. Ted Cruz called a basketball hoop a basketball ring while creating a scene from Hoosiers. And I read that headline, I think it was Sunday night I read it, and I thought, oh, that's, that's bad. That's awkward. And I, I don't like awkward situations. I don't like, I don't like watching people in bad moments like that. I just, oh, I felt really bad for him. And, and honestly, I would feel bad for Hillary if she called it a basketball. I just, oh, I get uncomfortable. I don't like it. He calls it a basketball ring? Oh, my, that's terrible. So I was a swimmer growing up, and people would always get it wrong. They'd say, Slater, hey, uh, good luck at your uh, your swimming game this weekend. 
Slater, you got a you got a swim contest coming up? Swim swim contest you're doing? Big swimming event soon? You got I'm not even kidding. Someone once called it a swim pageant. Good luck at your swim pageant. <laughs> it's, a, it's a swim meet. Swim meet. Basketball game, swim meet, wrestling match, right? They're all a little bit different. Anyway, here's I, I misread the headline. I thought Ted Cruz called the basketball court a ring. Like a boxing ring? I thought he called the court a basketball ring. And I honestly didn't even want to click the link. I felt so bad for the guy. But I thought, ah, I kind of get paid for this. People are going to be talking about it. I guess I should watch it. So I braced myself and, and went through. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but here at 608. Well, as y'all know, we're here on the Hickory basketball court. And Bruce, who travels with me, Bruce, I want to ask you something. Do you have a tape measure with you? Oh, listen to the backboard. Wait, now hold on here. Stop, stop right here. Stop right here for a second. Stop right there. Now hang tight. Hang tight. The I, I listened to this this clip that you heard over and over a hundred times, and I thought, I think he says rim. Because, because remember, I thought he was I thought he was calling it the, ba- the basketball court a ring. And I was like, oh, he, he called the rim a ring. He called it the basketball rim. He meant to say rim. And he said ring. And I heard it and I, th- I thought, oh, I, th- I think he said I think he said rim. Like I heard it a bunch of times. I was like, oh, I don't, that's not that bad. That's not as bad. I, th- I think he said rim. But anyway, some people say ring. Some people said rim, whatever. But, but here's the clip I'm, we're playing right here. And this is what bothered me because I went back and I said, you know, I want to hear the whole speech or that whole moment. I want to get the whole context of what he was saying there. Now, of course, he's quoting from Hoosiers, but um, I found the whole speech. Now, maybe, and I'll give it to you, that he said ring in the clip you've heard a million times. On my local show, it was top of the hour news. It was we have, We're a CBS affiliate. It was literally boom, 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 boom. This is CBS News. Ted Cruz was in Indiana yesterday and called it a basketball ring. In other news, ISIS beheaded 20 people. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Okay, so basketball ring, fine. Maybe he called it a basketball ring. But what I'm playing for you right now is the sentence before he said basketball ring. Literally the sentence before. Here's the rest of the clip. Tell me something. How tall is that basketball rim? All right, stop there. Hey, he said rim. <laughs> that was the sentence before the clip you heard a million times. The one clip you heard a million times, he says ring. Right, it's kind of like mumbles it. The time before, he clearly said rim. He knows it's a basketball rim. How tall is that basketball rim? That's rim. Isn't that rim? That's 100% rim, right? The second time he said it, like the next sentence, it was kind of ring. <laughs> First time it was definitely rim. Ball rim. Rim. Right. That's that's just unfair. And here's the thing. It is. It, it what what made me so mad. Are people talking about this like it's the biggest deal in the world? Because here's the deal. This is going to influence people's decisions, and the, the comments. 
to this gaffe, if you even want to call it, are brutal, <laughs> like unbelievably nasty. And the people who are commenting, most of them don't even listen to the clip. Well, and first of all, they do hear the clip that that's provided. He says ring kind of, but no one here heard the line before because they edited that out. Most people just read the headline and that's all it takes. And that's what bothers me. And it's not only, listen, if people said, oh, ha, he said ring, that's silly. I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, ha, ha, he's meant to say ram, he said ring, ah, okay, he's third speech of the day, but whatever, he can make one mistake. But it's not that, it's Ted Cruz is the stupidest idiot in the world. Like, you, he should be hung from the rafters. Because he's such a stupid idiot. Like, that was people's reaction. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So my reaction now is a counter-reaction to their overreaction. I am overreacting on the other side because people so violently overreacted on that side. Right? If everyone just said, oh, he meant to say rim. He said ring. Ah, one idiot. I'd, I'd, join, I'd join the chorus. Like, ah, doofus, blah, blah, blah. No. It's, oh, he's not qualified. <laughs> it's, come on. Come on. Now, someone's going to say, well, hold on, Slater. What about all the criticism of Trump saying two Corinthians? Right, fair enough. But Ted Cruz isn't running to be NBA commissioner. Now, Trump's not running to be commander in chief, but he says the Bible's his favorite book, blah, 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 whatever. Let's move on. Now, last point. Even if he did. Both times say basketball ring. Actually, for the love of Pete, if he called the basketball court a basketball ring, who cares? What are we doing here? What are we doing? Honest question. Let's real chat. What are we doing? What the heck are we doing here? I get it. We got what five, six weeks left. Six, seven weeks, whatever. I get it. It's entertaining. It's fun. Politics are fun. It's fun. But let's get real. We are not electing someone to watch the NBA finals with. We're electing a commander in chief. How, f- uh, let me, let me analogy, <clears throat> analogy time here. How frustrated would you be if you were applying for a job to be an accountant? You've been an accountant for 20 years. You're one of the best accountants ever. You just you moved to a new town. I uh, moved to Indiana. And uh, you got to get a new job, right, as an accountant. But you're great. You're first class. You've done it in a couple different businesses, a couple different places. And you're a great accountant. Never had any problems. First class. And uh, you talk to your boss, and your boss loves your resume, loves you. Everything's going fantastic. Great. And he's like, oh, sir, listen, we got a couple more days of uh, of interviews, but... You pretty much got the job. We just got to do a little bit of paperwork here, and we'll give you a call tomorrow and let you know for sure. And you say, oh, that's wonderful. You shake hand. Step up from, the, uh, from your seat, and you start to walk out the door, and the boss says, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And you say, oh, not much, but I am really excited for the, uh, the game between the Houston Rockets and the California Warriors tonight. Sorry, the who? Yeah, the California Warriors. Really excited for the for the game, Steph Curry, been playing well this year. Um, they're not called the California Warriors. Oh, I'm sorry, Oakland Warriors. <laughs> Crazy, I I forgot that. I know they're in Oakland. I just I've said California. I meant Oakland Warriors. 
Uh, it's the Golden State Warriors. You stupid idiot. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, Golden State Warriors. Okay, sir. I think that's the last we'll be seeing of you around here. <laughs> like, wait, I'm applying for an accountant job. You're, wait, I, I no longer have the job. No, sir. We won't have any of our accountants who don't know that it's the Golden State Warriors. Good day, sir. <laughs> and then he punches you in the face. Like, what the heck? And that's how I feel this, this, this Ted Cruz gaffe. Like, he's not qualified. And the, come on. So, and if that happened to you, if that happened to you and you, you had this job or whatever, and people judged you based off something that has nothing to do with it, you would think that that was an injustice. And that's how I feel about this. But again, I'm overreacting because of the other people's, other people's other, other overreaction. <laughs> and I, this is what I blame on this. I think it goes back, and maybe you could think of someplace sooner. I think it goes back to 1990, was it two? 1992. And that person in the MTV audience who asked Bill Clinton if he wears boxers or briefs. And Bill Clinton got labeled as the cool guy, forever changing our political landscape. And now we look for guys that you want to have a beer with, or guys who know that it's a basketball ring more so than the person who's going to lead our country as commander-in-chief. That's what frustrates me a little bit. Like it's kind of time to get serious. We can laugh, we can joke, we can have a good time. But it's kind of time to get serious here. The guys who do our morning show here in San Diego, um, Joe, he says, I'm a humorist, and I don't think we're serious enough. Now, serious doesn't mean boring, don't get me wrong. But it also doesn't mean we judge a candidate for president of the United States on if he says basketball ring. Especially when the sentence before he says rim. Anyway, I think we can put that to bed. 1-800-1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, let me get frustrated at one on the other side now. And then we'll move on to some important things. Um, love this headline from the AP. This was this is Wednesday nights when Trump was in Orange County on Wednesday night. No, no, sorry, Trump wasn't no, sorry, take it back. Trump was in Orange County on Thursday night. Um Wednesday night, the city one of the city councils was going to pass an anti-Trump resolution or something. I don't know. What, anyway, headline, pepper spray flies during Trump protest clash in California. Okay? So that headline, I just got a simple question, a very simple question. Based on the headline, who pepper sprayed whom? Pepper spray flies during downtown, during Trump protest clash. All right, first paragraph. Supporters and opponents of Donald Trump clashed Tuesday night outside City Hall, and five people, including two little girls, were pepper sprayed by a demonstrator during the heated confrontation. Okay, who pepper sprayed whom? Did a pro-Trump supporter pepper spray an anti-Trump supporter? Or did an anti-Trump person uh, pepper spray a pro? We don't know yet. Doesn't say. 
Second paragraph, no serious injuries and no arrests were reported in the clash as about 50 people confronted each other in the Orange County community. Okay, again, who pepper sprayed whom? Don't know. Third paragraph, backers waving U.S. flags and pro-Trump signs were met by opponents and a shouting match began. Okay, no idea. Three paragraphs in, who who pepper sprayed who? Who what, What do we, I don't know. Fourth paragraph, at one point, an opponent unleashed a handheld pepper spray device on the pro-Trump crowd. Well, hold on. That, that doesn't fit the narrative. Five people, including two girls, age 8 and 11, were exposed to the eye-stinging spray. So what we have here is an anti-Trump protester spraying little girls with pepper spray. Now, you would think, specifically because it's so contrary to the narrative, you would think that that would be in the headline, right? Because it's unexpected, because it's so different than what we're, we think it would happen, you'd think it would therefore be newsworthy. It would be in the headline, or at least in the first paragraph, right? Anti-Trump protester sprays children in face with pepper spray. But of course not. Instead, it's this super passive pepper spray flies during Trump pro. <laughs> Here's why this matters. I got 20 seconds. There's going to be thousands of peaceful Republicans at the convention in Cleveland. We're going to go. We're going to do what we need to do. And we're going to want to go home. But then there's going to be thousands of protesters who are going to go there and cause trouble. And all the headlines are going to be just as vague as this. Trump convention destroys city. No, no, we didn't. The protesters did. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. Appreciate you being here, taking some time. Let's uh, turn away from politics for a second. Uh, I kicked off the show talking about the history of Republican conventions. Just a broad overview. Uh, and as we get a little closer, if, if it's relevant, I want to go into each of the conventions, or at least 10 of them, the 10 contested ones. Um, because here's what's going to happen. What goes on in Cleveland, people are going to say, oh, it's unprecedented. There's never been anything like it. But we're going to be able to say, well, it's actually a lot like the 1880 Republican convention, where Ulysses S. Grant was going in as the front runner and lost after 36 ballots. Right? right so, uh, and we, we did a whole overview um, earlier today so uh and then coming up in the next hour i want to talk about um our fun time at the trump rally yesterday or two days ago at uh in orange county and uh mostly with the the anti-trump protesters we're gonna make we're making some crazy videos right now about what it's like to go in the belly of the beast so we'll talk about that coming up in the next hour but first not politics i want to talk about an anniversary from the other day from monday april 25th 40 years ago April 25th, 40 years ago, there was a baseball game. Not a hugely important game, right? It was uh, between the, the Cubs and the Dodgers in the Dodgers Stadium, obviously earlier in the year. Good game. 25,000 people there. Good crowd. Uh, the Dodgers beat the Cubs 5-4 to four in 10 innings. Walk-off single. It's a good finish. But the player of the game wasn't the guy who hit the walk-off. Or even the player that scored. 
It wasn't even someone on the winning team. The player of the game was the center fielder for the Cubs. Rick Monday. All right, why Rick Monday? I mean, how often does that happen? The MVP's on the other team. Uh, well, he must have hit a bunch of home runs. No, no home runs. Did he hit a cycle? Or, no, he went three for five. Scored twice, and he drove in the game tying run in the eighth, so he did play well. But it was a play that never appeared in the box score. That really mattered. So let's go there. 40 years ago on Monday, the call that you're going to hear in the beginning here is from Vin Scully. And, and just in case you can't hear it, it's, it, it's classic. He goes, wait a minute. There's an animal on the loose. Two of them. There it is. Side, ball one. And wait a minute, there's an animal loose. Two of them. All right. I'm not sure what he's doing out there. It looks like he's going to burn a flag, and Rick Monday runs and takes it away from him. And so Monday... Thirty years later, I could not tell you immediately what was on my mind, except what they were doing was wrong. As far as I'm concerned, it was wrong in 1976. It's wrong today, what they were trying to do. The first match was struck, and as it was put to the flag, the wind blew it out, and I'm still running at them. The second match is is ignited, and he starts to put, one of them starts to put the match to the flag at the same time I got there. I do know that I thought about maybe bowling them over, but now I can get the flag before maybe the match can get there. So I reached out, picked it up, still on the run. And the first thing that came to mind, I mean, you could smell the lighter fluid. That's how much they doused it. And it was soaking wet. You could feel the coldness of this lighter fluid. They said, well, is it on fire? Well, obviously it was not on fire. Thank goodness it was not on fire. People don't notice, but he beat me to the flag. I was coaching third base at that time. And I saw Rick Money start running from center field over to left. I didn't know what it was, but as soon as I saw him stop, I took off and I ran out there. Tommy Lasorda, remember, was the third base coach at the time for the Dodgers. It was the year before he became the manager, the year before I came to the Dodgers. Tommy ran past me yelling about every expletive a longshoreman has ever uttered in trying to get to the guys. I gave the flag to Doug Rao, who was a left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers, who came out of their, their third base dugout, and I gave him the flag. I turned around, the guys are being escorted off the field by members of the uh, security team, and also Duke, the head groundskeeper, was with them too, and he had one of them by the arm, and they escorted them off the field. And it was a very quiet moment. There was a, a, a smattering of applause as they got these two guys off the field, and it got quiet again. And if memory serves correctly from one part of the stadium, I don't know where, and then from another part, and then from another part, and then kind of collectively, people began to sing, God Bless America. Don't know where it came from. It was a very heroic uh, move on his part in a situation that could have easily just let go. The flag could have easily just burned there until a couple of archers came out. But Rick acted, and I think uh, we're all very, very happy that he did. I, I'm surprised by the response in, in, in the greatest sense of the word. Uh, embarrassed by the intention it was focused upon me, because I don't know anyone who would not have done the same thing had they been as close to it as I was. So that being said, 
I get letters every week uh, from retired servicemen, from their families, from kids who were not even born then that heard about it. And, and I started again a little bit more so a few years ago. Uh, Major League Baseball had selected that moment, uh, saving the flag as one of the top 100 moments in Major League Baseball history. So there was a rejuvenation of that entire thing. And from time to time, people ask, it, "Well, are, are you are you upset because you spent 19 seasons in the major leagues and you're known for primarily stopping two people from burning the flag? If that's all you're known for, it's not a bad thing at all. I think it solidified the thought process of hundreds of thousands of people that represented this country in fine fashion. Many of them lost their lives. Pretty good." You think about that, and it occurred during um, not the best time in American history, but as Aaron Goldstein wrote, he said, with all of this country's shortcomings and troubles, our flag still represented freedom and liberty to most Americans. It's so funny, I you know, we got back from the Trump rally on Thursday night, and I don't say most, but... Um, a lot of the protesters there had a Mexican flags. They're waving Mexican flags around. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'll tell you about that in a little bit, but striking differences, right? The That night um, in the LA Times, Monday, was quoted. He said, yeah, the guy, he got down on his knees and I could tell he wasn't throwing holy water on it. And if he's going to burn a flag, you better do it in front of somebody who doesn't appreciate it. I've visited enough veterans hospitals and seen enough guys with their legs blown off defending that flag. I wasn't going to let him get away with it. I love what Monday said in that clip. You know, he said, if anyone else on the team or anyone I know, if they, if they were the one who happened to be closer to the flag than me, then they would have done the same thing. And he said the standing ovation, right? That he received, it wasn't for him. It was for the flag. And he said, everyone in the stands would have done the same thing, too. I just happened to be the guy who was closest. The guy jumped down with his son and uh, ran to center field. If he ran to right field, then he would have done it, right? It's not a big deal. And I love that sentiment, but, it, I mean, it begs the question, would you have done the same thing? I know you would. That wasn't my real question. I know you would. First of all, I feel like we need another moment like that very badly in America. But think about this. And this is the uncomfortable question. Would you do the things that are necessary, not just, not just to fight for the flag, but for the things that the flag represents? Are you with me? It's one thing to save the flag. It's one thing to save the symbol. But it's a lot harder to do the things and represent the things and fight for the things that that symbol represents, right? It's easier to grab something that someone's trying to burn, but it's a lot harder to volunteer at local children's hospital, to serve at a pro-life crisis pregnancy center, to join Big Brothers Big Sisters. It's easy, I think, to grab a flag away from someone who's trying to burn it. As wonderful as that is, I don't mean to disparage that by any stretch of the imagination. But he said he said anyone would do it. Okay, so if anyone would do it, it's not that hard, right? 
But it is a lot harder to talk to someone about the importance of uh, charter schools, school choice, or take a gun safety class to protect your family, or date your wife, honor our veterans, be there for your kids. What all the things that that flag represents, it's a lot harder to fight for those things than it is to grab the flag. And that's the challenge. We don't just want to be the people who grab the flag from it being burned. That's easy. It's important, but easy. We want to be the people behind the scenes fighting for all the things that that flag does represent. I want to come back with uh, a sermon from Henry Ward Beecher. I want to quote part of it. And I don't know if you're worried about the religiousness of it. It's, it's, I wouldn't, it's, it's, it's not that it's just truth and common sense, but it's a good reminder. Just like what Rick Monday did. Hey, don't just fight for this physical thing. Let's stand up and fight for the things that this flag represents every day. That's who we are. one 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Slater Cassettes, you probably saw the story in the Blaze a couple days ago. Douglasville, Georgia, a man walked into a Mexican restaurant with no hands, ordered a meal, and uh, the server who brought it to his table sat down as she took a lunch break. And during that lunch break, sat down and helped feed the man. The guy's the server's 22, and he said, I saw a man who needed help. I did what I thought was right. I love it. It's that simple. I saw a man who needed help. I did what I thought was right. I love it because you know the reporter said, why did you do what you did? Um, saw a man who needed help, and I did what I thought was right. right? <laughs> like it's, it's no more complicated than that. Last segment we were talking about, Fighting for not just the flag like Rick Monday did, which is great, but fighting for what that flag actually represents. And that flag, to me, among other things, represents this man and his service to that other man in need. That's what matters. And if we don't do that, if we don't help that man in need, then I want to argue that we're just as guilty as the guys who tried to light the flag on fire. Maybe even worse. I read a sermon the other day from Harriet Beecher Ward. Um, He had a giant church in Brooklyn. He was one of the first. So he was the most famous man in America in the 1800s. Literally the most famous man in America. And he was really one of the first pastors to preach not fire and brimstone. He taught he, he preached love. And he had a huge church in Brooklyn. And there were so many people who would take the ferry from Manhattan to Brooklyn on Sunday that they called them Beecher Boats. Most famous man in America. So I read a sermon from him the other day. Uh, he gave it in 1868. And uh, a quick background. He talks. Off, he starts off talking about uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who was basically the governor of Judea. Right? So long story short, chief priests bring, bring Jesus to Pilate to be executed. And Pilate says, why? Like, <laughs> he didn't do anything. 
And Pilate's wife says to let Jesus go. Pilate doesn't know what to do. He's got the angry mob. He doesn't want anything to do, though, with the killing of an innocent man. He has a few chances to get out of it. But in the end, he hands Jesus over to the people to be crucified. And then he takes out a bowl of water, washes his hands, and says, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. The responsibility is yours. An amazing moment. Because... If only it could be that easy to wash your hands in a bowl of water and be cleared of wrongdoing. Now, Henry Ward Beecher went on from that story and made four points. And I want to go over them real quick and you can decide how relevant this is to today. Again, this is 1868. Point number one, whoever does wickedness through others is not less wicked than they, but more. And just as guilty as if he had done it himself. You can imagine at work, maybe your boss says, uh, or doesn't want to uh, do something wrong, so he has you, someone beneath him, do something wrong on his behalf. Thinks he can just wash his hands of it, because he doesn't do it himself. That's not how that works. Or maybe in campaigning, someone says, I'm not going to say this lie about my opponent, but... But, you know, leak it, or you can say it on my behalf, and, you know, that way I had nothing to do with it. Like, no, 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 that's not how it works. You can't just wash your hands of it. Second point, this is Henry Ward Beecher. Evil which many men commit together is not distributively born. If a thousand men attempt to commit a murder, each man is not guilty of one thousandth part of that murder. Each man is guilty of the whole. Love that. Classic example, maybe like a riot. You know, most people in a riot, if they were by themselves, would not throw a rock through a window. But when you're with a thousand people doing it, then, then yeah, you'll do it. And you say, well, it wasn't me. It was me and a thousand other people. Oh, so you're one thousandth wrong? One one thousandth wrong? Like, no, 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 no. You're a you're hundred percent wrong. And each person is a hundred percent wrong. You don't spread out the wrong over all the people. That's point number two. Point number three. Evil actions are not less wicked because they are done for reasons of state, reasons of party, or political reasons. And we can justify this all day long in our, in our, in our minds. All right, this is wrong, but it's for the greater good. This is wrong, but it's, it's, it's good for the party. Or this is wrong with the government's making me do it or the government wants me to do it or whatever. Nope. Not absolved. Can't wash your hands like Pilate did. Or at least Pilate thought he did. All right, this is the one that I think applies the most. This is number four. Wickedness which a man can prevent and which he does not prevent makes him guilty. We are not morally responsible simply for the wickedness which we do, but for the wickedness which we can prevent as well. So to go back to Rick Monday from the last segment, and you may not believe this because it's kind of hard to accept this, I think. It's hard to get to this point, and it's fine if you're not there yet. But Rick Monday witnessed someone trying to burn the American flag. Okay? 
if he stood there and watched it happen, Henry Ward Beecher would say that he's just as guilty as the person who burnt it. And you think, well, no, how can he be just as guilty? Because he could have done something about it, but didn't. And I know that's hard to accept. Be like, oh, no, he's, it's, not, it's not just guilty as the guy who actually lit it. To go to the man who took his lunch break and, and fed a man with no hands. If he didn't, then he would be guilty of hurting this man. If he didn't do what he knew was right, he would be guilty of hurting this man. Because if we all saw this man with no hands, we'd know that we should help him. But I'm not sure I would. I'm pretty positive I wouldn't. And I was thinking the other day about this. I, I, I'm, I was thinking, which, am I, which do I fall? I'm worse than all these four. I'm worse. Because I was thinking, which of these four am I? I'm like, I'm the fifth. I don't even see problems in my daily life. I'm so selfish. I'm blind to the problems around me. I'm so selfish. I don't search out problems that I know exist and I know that I could be of service. I'm the fifth type of person. Henry Ward Beecher doesn't even mention me. I'm the guy who ignores everything. And hides his eyes and pretends everything's hunky-dory. We don't want a country of me. I'm most guilty of all. And that's why I love so much the people who see things that are broken and fix it. We need more people like that. We need more people who, when this guy fed the the, the guy with no hands, why? Why did you do it? Uh, I saw a man who needed help, and I did what I thought was right. That's pretty much it. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Wow, Slater Crusaders, how are you? Slater Radio on Twitter. Thanks for being here. And uh, all of our podcasts are on the, the, uh, the blaze.com slash radio. You can uh, spread those far and wide. I appreciate that. Talking about Henry Ward Beecher, most famous man in America in the 1800s, late 1800s. Had a giant church in Brooklyn. Still there. So reading from one of his sermons in 1868 about washing your hands of evil. And how that's not how that works. And really the big point, the fourth, his fourth point, and I think the one that's most relevant today, although it depends where you are in your life. Um, his fourth point was if you w- wickedness, which a man can prevent and which he does not prevent makes him guilty. We are not morally responsible simply for the wickedness, which we do, but for the wickedness, which we can prevent as well. And that's, that's hard to, wrap our heads around, but it makes sense. Like I, I know this, there's probably some people here like, no, I don't, I can't possibly be right. Um, how can I be guilty? If someone else does something wrong, how can I be as guilty as them? Just cause I don't prevent it. Just cause I ignore it or turn around or close my eyes or, well, this is the example he gives. He says, this is a fearful principle for men that live in a free state. And this was my first reaction when I heard this. I I rejected it. I resisted it. But um, I think this is why I think I was scared of it. I was scared of the responsibility of that. 
I, now I, I'm as responsible for the bad things as, as the bad people are, right? <laughs> Just because I don't do anything, I got my own stuff to worry about. He says, this is a fearful principle for men that live in a free state. It is a terrible responsibility that it brings upon Christian men who live in such cities as New York and Brooklyn where wickedness is rampant and where it corrupts the very foundations of life and where it threatens to destroy the very government itself. This is 1868. Our cities are filled with moral men, but they're so bent upon gain themselves that though they see this deplorable state of things, no one cares for it or no one is willing to take the trouble and labor and to expend the time and the patience which are required for correction. You know, I'm waked up in the night and I hear the cry of my children. I hear my parents shriek for help. There's blood in the house. But I gather the bed sheets over my head and I lie saying, well, no danger can come to me. My door's locked. It's tightly bolted. And in the morning, my father is gone and my mother, mother is gone and my children are gone. And I get up. And I say, their blood is not on me. Their blood is on me. And men that live together, especially in self-governing communities like our own, and that tolerate monstrous iniquities and sins, which are eating out the morals of society, and that give encouragement to men who ought to go whipped by justice, and that see our city hall filled with men who should be in prison, and that permit the chief public offices to go into the hands of men who are guilty of almost every crime in the calendar and that wink at wickedness. We take upon ourselves a part of their guilt. The wickedness that men might prevent and that they do not strive according to the measure of their power to prevent, they take the responsibility of. That is, that is hard to hear. Um, that's one of those sermons. I wish I was there. Wouldn't that be cool to go back in time and, and hear that? But that's one of those sermons every once in a while in church when uh, it's real quiet. <laughs> the ser- preacher's going on and on and on. Everyone's like, mm, I, don't, uh, I don't really want to hear this right now. So when there's an injustice, a problem you see that you know that you need to be a part of solving, even if it's just in the tiniest of way, you got to be a part of stopping it. What is that? Now, we can go on this road if you want and keep talking generally, or we can go into life stuff too. I'm sure you can think of some things, some injustices you see, some problems you see that you know that you should be a part of solving. Even a tiny role, something. Or we can talk politics if you want. A couple more weeks in the primary here. You may be in a state that already voted. Nothing I can do now, right? Well, I don't know. Still, what, 10, 11 states left? 
there may be someone running, and then you say, "Ooh, that's not good," and I don't want to. And you, but you say, "Oh, I don't. Uh, I don't want anything to do with it. It's not my, not my fight, not my problem, not my issue. I'm gonna let Indiana fight it. I'm gonna let Colorado or, or uh, California fight it out. You can still play a role." And if you feel that strongly that the other person that you that you don't want to vote for is that bad, and if they end up winning, one way or the other, either person, I'm not talking, I'm speaking generally here, you can apply it any way you want. If that person wins and you could have done more, you're just as guilty as the person who voted for him. Now, I don't want to be a little dramatic here because that's we're just talking about voting as opposed to like real evils and wickedness in society, which Henry Ward Beecher was talking about. But maybe maybe it's not that dramatic. <laughs> Now, I hear a lot of people say, never Cruz, never Trump. And then a lot of people making a big deal of uh, how the two sides are never going to come together and this is going to fracture the party, whoever wins. I don't think so. I don't. I think we're getting uh, caught up. I think uh, cooler heads will prevail the day after the convention, maybe a week after. Maybe it'll take a week to recover. I don't know what's going to happen in Cleveland. Maybe it'll take a week to recover. But as soon as we turn that corner, we're going to see the real enemy. And I think we're going to all come back together. I call it the Independence Day effect. I'm sure you've seen the movie Independence Day. Right? You got all these countries fighting each other. America and Russia and Russia, Ukraine and European Union falling apart, whatever. You got all these problems around the world. And then the aliens come. (laughs) All right. Hey, aliens come. And then, and then you see giant spaceships all over the world, and then everyone in America, everyone around the world, is like, "Oh, um, we're cool now, right? Can we, can we put our differences aside and fight the aliens now? And then we'll get back to our bickering here about things. But in the meantime, let's let's go ahead and fight these aliens together, right? Independence Day effect, common enemy. Uh, same thing with everybody. We'll, we'll turn this corner. Never cruise, never Trump. Someone's gonna be real upset, and we're gonna turn that corner, and then we're gonna say, "Oh, um." We're cool, right? Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really mean all that stuff back there, right? We're, we we can, okay, because we gotta we gotta solve this problem, and then we can get back to our own little. Th- but in the meantime, let's do what you know is right, and maybe that means stopping what you know is wrong. Not maybe, definitely does. And again, that can go both ways. I know earlier, um, I did. It's funny. I did this on my. I talked about on my local show um, something we mentioned earlier that it's not over yet, right? Trump has not gotten one thousand two hundred thirty-seven votes or delegates. He has, he's not there. And I keep hearing all this talk about presumptive nominee and mathematically eliminated and all this stuff. No, no, like you, you, you're not done. You have to cross the finish line. The, the easiest analogy is um, you're running a hundred meter dash. Okay, gun goes off. Everyone trips. Twist an ankle, bust their heads, they have concussions, they're knocked out. Except for you. You're the one, the last one standing, right? What, eight people in a, on a track, right? Eight people, you got eight people, seven of them fell, bumped their heads, they broke their legs and twisted their ankles, they can't move. You're the one person standing. You can't just stop and walk off the, the track and be like, oh, well, I mean, I'm the last, I'm the only person who could finish. So I, no, you have to finish. You, you, have, to, you have to finish the, the race, you got to cross. The, Trump's not there yet. So I, we, I did that segment. I made that point. I think it's a pretty obvious point. And the only reason I had to make it is because I keep hearing all this stuff about, oh, it's over. And it's not. Um, so I got all this, these attacks 
from from Trump people. And I said, whoa, whoa. I'm not I'm not attacking Trump. If anything, you should be encouraged by that. You should be, I'm just giving you a kick in the butt. Like, you better keep going. So California is the last state to vote. I did a little math, back of the napkin math. Um, I split all the states remaining between Trump and Cruz, all the remaining states, split the delegates. I gave Trump all of New Jersey. It's 51 delegates because he'll definitely win that. I think everything else will get about half and half. You know, who knows? And if that's the case, Trump still needs to get 100 delegates out of the 172 in California. That's a lot. He used to do really well here. And California is a little tricky because it's by congressional district. So Trump can win the popular vote. He only gets 10 delegates for that. All the other delegates, it's three per congressional district. And it's a closed primary. Right? So you got to be a registered Republican in order to vote. And that generally is better for Cruz. So Trump's got to get like about, you know, it, vary, it will vary, but about 100. About 100 of the 172 delegates in California. That's not that easy. Trump's been here for, or excuse me, Cruz has been here for a year. Trump showed up, he hired his California coordinator two weeks ago. So I'm not attacking Trump. I'm saying, you better get moving. Like, you're not done. That's it. And then obviously, Cruz, if you want to stop Trump, Cruz supporters, um, you better get going too. A couple more weeks. But don't sit on the sideline the whole time and say, oh, should have done more. Because if the wrong person wins, whoever you think the wrong person is, you're just as guilty as the people who voted for that wrong person. And dare I say, if you sit out the general, you're just as guilty as the person who voted for Hillary. That one hurts. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater, Slater. Just wrap up this point, and then we'll talk about the uh, Trump rally uh, in Orange County that we went to the other day. Um, I think that's why we're here, right? Everything I just talked about that hour to identify the problems around us, and then to go be inspired to solve them. And this is the craziest part: everyone is super passionate about something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, right? It's, it's, if you're listening live, it's Saturday afternoon. Why are you here? If you're not. You don't see a problem, things that are broken, and you don't want to be inspired to do to go fix it. Like there are there's no one listening now who lacks passion for everything. Right? Everyone listening now, you're passionate about something. So let's play to our strengths. Whatever that thing is, go be a part of it. Go fix it. What's your number one issue? Let's say it's, it could be abortion, it could be education, national security, immigration, whatever. Please, you have to stand up and go be counted on it. It does no good to carry that passion within yourself and talk to yourself about it and get mad to yourself about it because you only get frustrated about it and you only got yourself to blame. Go tell 10 people. It's easy. Next 10 people you see. It's, it's such a simple conversation. Go ask them what the most important issue is to them and talk for a while. Listen, engage. 
And then when they share, you talk about your most important issue to them. And you're not going to convert them on the spot, but you plant a seed. Hopefully it'll grow by election time. And if not this one, then the next one. But you got to do it. And here's the thing. You are in the 99th percentile of understanding what's going on in our world, of understanding this election, of understanding the people involved, of understanding the stakes. Trust me on that right now. Within, uh, within 20 square miles of you right now, you are the smartest person on these political issues. I promise you. You are the person. Do not keep this to yourself. I know a lot of times you can feel intimidated. You're like, ah, oh, you know, there's probably smarter people out there than me. I'm not. The-. No, 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 no. You're the smartest. People are looking to you to help them. As Henry Ward Beecher said, he said, our cities are filled with moral men, but they're so bent upon their own personal gain that though they see the deplorable state of things, no one cares for it or no one's willing to take the trouble and labor or to expend the time and the patience which are required for correction. This is not us. Have the confidence. You are in the 99th percentile of understanding what's important and how to fix it. You are. Everyone's looking to you. And honestly, if you just talk to someone on one-on-one, I guarantee you there's such a good chance that they'll, they'll, they'll realize their own conservative principles. I think most people have conservative principles. They just haven't been articulated properly and they haven't been uncovered properly. I want to tell a story about the Trump rally uh, two days ago. And when there were about 30 people yelling in my face, racist, racist, there was a girl in front of me yelling in my face. And I, I look in her eyes. She so clearly knew that what she was doing was wrong. It was so unbelievably obvious that she knew it. I mean, now the guy next to her with waving the Mexican flag, he was angry, right? And then the guy, he had anger in his eyes. The guy to my left, he was laughing. He didn't really. But this one girl, she couldn't have been 18. I was probably 17. You could, it's so obvious that if her and I got some coffee, she could bring a friend or two of hers and we could just talk and we could talk about things that are important to her and her background and her passions and what she gets fired up about. And we talk for a while. I guarantee you she would realize that she actually believes in true conservative principles. I think that's true for most people. Go out there, do it. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America is the greatest country in the world. How are you, Slater? Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. So, Trump rally here in California. His first one in California was Thursday. In Orange County. Can I talk a second about California here? About why it's so important on it? First of all, we're last. Um, did a little back of the napkin delegate math a little earlier. Uh, all the states that remain, if Trump and Cruz split them 50-50, and I gave all of New Jersey to Trump, right? 51 delegates. Trump would need about 100 of California's 172 delegates in order to get 1237. So, um, back of the napkin, things can change, obviously, all the but he's got to do well here. And it's hard to do well here. It's a big state. 
expensive state. We have seven media markets. Some states have one. Some states have none. Right? They just combine with you know the little the little states as people in California call them the little states up north. Um, you know, share media markets and stuff. So we have seven. Super expensive. Big. Need a lot of ground game. A closed primary. Only Republicans can vote. Most conservatives in California are not registered Republican. It's weird. A little bit of a protest with Republicans where they register independent here in California because the Republicans are so pathetic out here. Uh, the Republican Party. So they, they register. I'm not, I'm not a Republican anymore. I'm independent. So there's not a lot of Republicans. Not a lot of registered Republicans. It is, if you win the primary, you win, sorry, if you win the popular vote in California, you get 10 delegates. All the other delegates are three per district, congressional district. So Cruz, or excuse me, Trump will probably win the popular vote, but there's 53 congressional districts. I mean, like, you got to... <laughs> Cruz is going to have the ground game. He's been for, here for a year. I think Cruz is going to do really well in California because he'll win most of the congressional district. It's going to be close. So anyway, point is, California is very important. It'll wrap it up one way or the other. So Cruz was here, when did IMC his rally? Two weeks ago? So I was his first, he was here two weeks ago. Trump named his California coordinator two two weeks ago. So he's way behind as he is in most states when it comes to uh, organization. But anyway, his first rally in Orange County, Orange County and, and San Diego County, which are the two southernmost counties in California, are the most conservative counties in California. So a lot of time, money, and energy are going to be spent here. So uh, Orange County is, or, or the Orange County Fairgrounds, about an hour, 15 minutes north of where I'm sitting right now. So me and uh, my local show's producer and director, we got in the, in the uh, 760 KFMB mobile and drove on up into the belly of the beast. Got there early. It was a 7 o'clock rally, 7 p.m. We got there about 4.30. It was like 20, 30% full. Security was unbelievable. I've, I've, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. I've been to a lot of events. You know, I've been to whatever professional sporting events, and I went to a, Demo- a uh, uh, election debate back in 2000, 2008, 2008. Um, I've never seen enforcement, law enforcement like this. Huge mobile command units, armored vehicles, a lot of men in suits, whether they're Secret Service or private security, I'm sure both. So we went through security, bomb sniffing dogs, and uh, got got our uh, stuff all set up where the lion media is all corralled in the middle of the venue. It was outside, amphitheater, 8,500 people. Now, it's called the Pacific Amphitheater. It fits 8,500, which is noteworthy because Trump keeps saying there were 31,000 people there. I mean, it was full, but that's, that means 8,000. Now, there's some people outside, too, but there weren't 20,000 people outside. Maybe like 1,000 or 2,000. I mean, 8,500 people, not 31,000, which is just funny. Anyway, so we leave because we're there so early, and uh, we go outside, and we, we go to the front where everyone's hanging around, and we see uh, a giant gay pride flag. So we're like, okay, let's go there. So we talked to a few of the protesters there. We got our video camera and everything. We're going to release the video here uh, on Monday. And a lot of decent people talked to a lot of these protesters are very wonderful, nice people uh, had their concerns about Trump things. He said um, they had relatively thoughtful signs. We talked to them. They made some points. It was good. Here we talked to one woman who is Catholic 
married to a Muslim. And we were there, we were talking about illegal immigration, and she thinks it's fine, right? She thinks no border wall, all that stuff. So I'm talking to her, and then a Trump supporter comes up and plays it totally cool. And he goes, ma'am, I, he go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, are you guys talking? Oh, geez, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, ma'am, a real quick question. I, I just got here. It's a big line to get in. Where should I, where should I go if I want to go inside here? And the lady goes, oh, you should go to the back of the line. It's over there. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, I don't, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it's free country. You can go to the front if you want. It's cool. Right? Like she figured out what it was at first. Cause the guy played it so cool. She was like, oh yeah, you got to go to the back of the line. And then in mid sentence, she figured it out. It was like, oh, you're making a political point. I uh, go to the front. It's fine. Whatever. Right. So totally, <laughs> totally caught on that. That'll be fun to release that video. Um, Talked to a lot of people there. Again, these are the sensible protesters. I'm getting to the crazies in a second. And we're talking about illegal immigration. And I say, well, do you think if an illegal immigrant murders someone, they should be deported? Uh, Maybe ask that to 10 people. And all but one of them said yes. There was one guy who was like, no, they shouldn't be. But he probably felt defensive and said that. Because everyone thinks that if you are an illegal immigrant here and you murder someone, you should be deported. Everyone thinks that that's such... Let me me make this point. This is what conservatives need to do. Let's pick the low-hanging fruit. Okay? Can Can we do that? Like, who is against deporting an illegal immigrant who murders someone? I have to imagine 99% of people agree on that. So let's keep it simple. Let's get people to start agreeing with us on simple things like this. Remember the illegal immigrant who killed Kate Steinle in San Francisco was deported five times. Okay. Drug charges, manufacturing, narcotics, heroin position, stuff like that. He was in jail a bunch of times. And then the fifth time, or or, or, I don't know. I forget how many times he went to jail, but he gets deported and then comes back. And this last time he was left out of jail, he just released in San Francisco. The whole system's so broken. And, and this is what's crazy. The conversation's so muddied between hardworking Hispanics and murderers, rapists, and drug dealers. And here's the deal with this. If you are a hardworking Hispanic, wouldn't you be on our side to do things and try and prevent murderers, rapists, and drug dealers from coming across the border? Wouldn't you want that? Of all people, wouldn't you want that? Are you with me? Do, do I need to say that again? Sorry, I hope I didn't go too fast. Or, right? like, If you're a Hispanic, if you're an immigrant, you would want more than anyone to stop murderers, rapists, and, and drug dealers from coming across the border because they give you a bad name. Fairly or unfairly, they give you a bad name. I, like, roll with this. Like, I'll get back to the Trump rally in a second, I promise. But let's say uh, I was immigrating to Canada. Okay, Steady stream. Hillary Clinton's president and, and everyone leaves America. We go to Canada, right? Um, steady stream of immigrants moving to Canada. And let's just say 10% of these immigrants are bad people. Okay, Bad people doing bad things. But we're all going to Canada together. And Canada's like, oh, open arms. Come on in, everybody. It'll be great. I would be the first person to say, hey, Canada, listen, love you guys. I love hockey. The things you do with the, the French fries, with the cheese and the gravy. That's awesome. I love it. I love being here. 
Can't wait to be a super awesome Canadian, eh? But I just want to give you guys a little heads up. There are some people coming from America in, into your country. They're up to no good. Now, I, I just want to come here to Canada. I want to do the right thing and live a decent life and improve your country the best I can and assimilate and become a Canadian, eh? But these people... They, they, they don't have that intention. They want to come here and do bad things for your country. So I just want to give you that heads up, and, and I'll help you with any policy that would prevent bad Americans from coming into Canada. Isn't that what you would do? Because, again, fairly or unfairly, those bad Americans coming into Canada give a bad impression of me, of you, of the good people. Same thing. Just let's move a little further south. The Mexicans coming across into Mexico or into America. Wouldn't the immigrants today, wouldn't the Hispanics today, they're, they're, right now they're like, oh, come on in, everybody. Good apples, bad apples, doesn't matter. But shouldn't they be saying, all right, let's figure this out. Because I don't want the 5% of immigrants to come across, or whatever the percentage is. I don't want that 5% to give the rest of us a bad name. So let's figure this out so that we can get the, the, the right people in America, do it orderly, do it legally, and, and prevent the bad people from going. What's the problem with that? I don't know why they're not. You know, Cesar Chavez, right? The left's union hero, Hispanics hero, founder of the Farm Workers Union. Cesar Chavez hated illegal immigration, hated it. He was a union guy first and foremost. And the illegal immigrants uh, had worked for lower wages and they would take jobs from the union farm workers. And when the union farm workers went on strike, the illegal immigrants would be the scabs. And Cesar Chavez hated illegal immigrants and he had uh, rallies down at the border. And he wanted ICE, or at that time it wasn't ICE, but wanted them to uh, to stop the government from coming over. Cesar Chavez would be a Donald Trump supporter. Anyway, point is, let's pick the low-hanging fruit for people. Let's get people agreeing on some common-sense immigration stuff. And honestly, it's Hispanics. More than anyone should be at the front of the line saying we got to get this situation at the border under control because all these bad people coming across are giving me a bad name and I don't like it. Anyway, those were the peaceful protesters. Nice people. And then we remembered when we were driving in that we drove by a bunch of people sitting around a tree in like a hippie drum circle. I was like, oh, let's go check that out. So we went over there and that's when everything changed. We'll talk about this next because you may have seen pictures of the, the riot Basically, that happened after the uh, Trump rally in, in Orange County on Thursday. That, that was this group of people. We got, we got to hang out with them for a while. Maybe a little too long. I'll tell you about that next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. I will pick up our story from uh, Thursday night at the Trump rally in Orange County. We're going to post a bunch of videos on our Facebook page in the coming days here. You can go to the Mike Slater Show or search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Uh, We already put up a video of about 30 protesters turned around and go, racist, racist, right in my face. So before the rally starts, it's probably kind of 530. 
Starts at 7. And we go across the street, and this is where the, the, the angry Trump protesters were. Mexican flags flying. Every sign said F Trump. They were all wearing F Trump t-shirts. They had nothing to say of substance at all. Except for the first guy. The first guy we saw, he was super drunk. And I go, what's your sign say? And he goes, if you elect Trump, there will be hell to pay. That guy had the most substance of anyone we talked to on that side of the street. So everything was Trump's racist, Trump's racist, Trump's racist. So we're talking to them, and then they decide to book it across the street and, and across the parking lot to where the pro-Trump people are standing in line. I don't know who organized it. I don't know who decided or what, why they decided that time. I have no idea. So they start running across the parking lot. The pro-Trump people are standing in line, maybe like eight deep along the wall. And the anti-Trump protesters roll up to them just screaming, screaming, crying chanting F Trump after a middle fingers flying. They walk right in the face of the Trump supporters. And then of course the worst of some of those people started yelling about building a wall and all that stuff within 60 seconds. There's 20 sheriff deputies on horses. They come and they separate the two sides. It was incredible how quickly they were able to move in and how effective that was too. But the protesters kept yelling maybe for like 15 more minutes. And then uh, things started to calm down a little bit, but both sides were still standing there with the horses between them. And we talked to as many people as we could. Now, this group was almost entirely Hispanic, 95% Hispanic, very young. I'd say 95% of the people there were under the age of 20. And a lot of them had Mexican flags. So I'd go up to them and I'd say, why, why do you have a Mexican flag? And they'd say, I'm here to support my people. Latinos stick together. Yeah, obviously. I'm like, well, yeah, where do you live? Uh, down the street. <laughs> yeah, in America? There were a couple of people there who did the whole, oh, the white man stole this land from us. Some guy told me to go back to Europe, whatever, right? So it was that kind of crap. Then eventually no one would talk to me anymore. And again, that's when they all started chanting racist, racist, racist. And obviously that's the last resort of a person who has no argument to make. And really someone who doesn't have any interest in making an argument. Nothing to say, right? No evidence to back up their feelings. And I even took off my microphone and everything. I had a microphone in my hand and I had a microphone in my shirt. Um, and I said, guys, listen, I don't want, because maybe they were scared of the camera. Or they thought I would manipulate the footage or whatever. So I said, guys, Miles, Miles at the camera. So go, you mean, turn it around, turn it off, take the microphone. Uh, I took my microphone off the lapel. Like, guys, let's just, let's just talk here. And they had no interest in doing that even off the record either. Nothing, they had nothing to back up their feelings. And I mentioned this in passing earlier. The most disturbing thing to me was at that moment when they were all chanting racist. There was a girl in front of me. She was probably 17. And I could just see in her eyes, it wasn't anger. You know, a lot of people had anger and rage. The guy standing on the car next to me with a Mexican flag tied around his neck, like that, that guy had rage. The girl in front of me, she... She knew this was wrong. There, there, uh, she looked lost. I, mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze her, but I, I, without a doubt, I thought, man, if, if we could just go grab some coffee together right now, you, me, and a couple of your friends here, grab two of your buddies, and if we just go and have a conversation, I could learn more about your perspective, right? And, and 
you know, learn about what you what you care about, what's most important to you, and all that stuff. And we could have a conversation and learn a lot. But she was just stuck in this group, and she had to go along with the crowd and yell racist at me when I mean I didn't even say anything. I don't think what are they? Because I'm the white guy, right? And they were kids. They were young. We were leaving. We were going into the venue, like seven, and. uh Group of, group of people, maybe 10 of them, were holding these signs, F Trump, F Trump, and they were chanting it. And I and I go, how old are you? And the girl goes, 14, 14 years old. It's crazy. So Trump's speech, of all the things that are brought up, immigration is by far the thing that gets people uh, fired up the most. And and I'm thinking, you know, what what's our disagreement really? Right. If, if everyone just like calm the heck down at the end of the day, I think most Americans want immigrants to come into America. And the truth is most countries in the world have a major demographics problem, like too few people. Birth rates are too low. So it's good to have a growing population. Immigration is a good thing. I think most people understand this. We understand the value of immigration and immigrants perspective on the world and because they know how great America is based on where they came from. So if most Americans want more immigrants, I know this girl wants more immigrants. So we agree on that. I want it done orderly so we know where everyone's coming from. I don't know why you can really disagree with that. You know, I'd like a system where you have some sort of sponsor, some sort of connection so you don't go straight on welfare. Maybe there's some disagreement there, but we can work that out. I don't know. I just, I, just, I think, I think you can really explain to almost anyone that, that we can like, agree on this. <laughs> It shouldn't be that angry. It really shouldn't be that contentious. I don't. I almost don't even get it. Well, I'll tell you what it is, though. It's because kids are raised today with this cult of diversity, right? Diver- st- diver- st- our strength is our diversity. No, it's not. It used to be our unity. So, but because they live in this cult of diversity, it has to be us versus them. It has to be I'm Hispanic and I'm proud of it. And therefore, because I am something, I need to be against something. I am something. You're something else. I'm for something. I need to be against you. You're for America means I need to be for Mexico, which is nonsense. I want to talk about cult of diversity coming up next. And I also met a mom and her 10-year-old son there, too. I'll tell you about that. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Is Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders. Thanks for being here. Uh, talking about the Trump rally went to on Thursday, just the other day in Orange County. Final thoughts here. Um, there's going to be some videos of this. There's one already, but a few more on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. People deciding to bring their Mexican flags to the protest. Why are you doing that? <laughs> that makes no sense. And we asked everyone with a Mexican flag that we could find. And they all said, oh, I'm proud of my people. Okay, fine. But you live here, and I can never imagine living in another country and waving the American flag in people's faces. But let's break this down, though, for a second, because this is actually important. Let's go back to just after slavery. The whole movement of former slaves, at least the movement led by Booker T. Washington, 
the whole movement was to do everything they could to prove their worth, to prove themselves, to prove that they can contribute to American society. White people said they can't. White people said they're lesser than. They wanted to prove them wrong. That's why Booker T. Washington started the Tuskegee Institute School for Black People where they could go learn skills and trades. And also they could learn how to talk properly and be clean. Cleanliness was one of the highest virtues of Booker T. Washington at the Tuskegee Institute. Why? Because he said, white people think we're dirty. We're going to prove them wrong. Okay? Today, Hispanics are out there protesting. Because they believe white people think they're bad, think they're lesser, think they're a drain on society, thinks that they're murderers, rapists, and drug dealers. That's what Trump said, right? He didn't, but that's what they think. Whatever. Shouldn't the goal be to prove us, everyone, wrong? Not prove our beliefs right. Now, that's not my belief, but you know what I'm saying, right? So imagine if I went up to, I went up to you and I said, uh, or just flip it around. Let's say you come up to me and you say, man, Slater, you are, uh, I just want to be honest with you, brother. I love you and all, but you are an angry, violent person. And I say, no, I'm not. And punch you in the face. <laughs> okay. Kind of just proved my point. Right? I said, you're a violent person. You said, no, you're not. You punched me in the face. Uh, yeah, you are. I think the proper course of action is, oh, man, like, if you said that to me, you said, Slater, you're a violent, angry person. I'd, I'd be oh, man, I hate that you think that about me, man. I, why, why do you think that? And, and, and what can I do to prove that I'm not a violent person? And I'm thinking back at these people at this protest. I mean... Let's just pick one issue. Generally, conservatives believe that Mexicans aren't assimilating to American culture. Okay, I'll do that as a that declarative statement, right? A lot of conservatives believe that Mexicans are not assimilating to American culture like immigrants have in the past. Okay, cool. If you're a Mexican immigrant and you're offended by that, prove us wrong. Don't bring a Mexican flag to the protest. That sure ain't going to help nothing. What are you doing? Now, can we be smarter than that, please? If we're ever in a protest situation, can we be smarter than that, please? Whatever that looks like. If we're protesting against people who believe we're something, let's not be that something. Let's be different than that. Let's be better than whatever that thing is. If people come up to you and say, oh, you're nothing but an angry Republican, let's not scream in their faces back. That doesn't make any sense. And again, to go back to what I mentioned in the last segment, it's about diversity. Back in the day, immigrants wanted to be American. They craved it and they proved their worth at all costs. But because people today are raised to praise the altar of diversity, it's all about separation. It's all about our differences. It's all about group identity. It's all about my race. I'm different than you. You're different than me. We need to fight it out for supremacy. <laughs> Which is so stupid. 
I hate this whole di- our strength is in our diversity. Not garbage. Our strength is in our unity. America's about finding what we have in common and finding a common purpose. And the protesters who were at the Trump rally on Thursday, 100%, they're the result of the cult of diversity that has been forced on our kids. Because these protesters were kids. 95% of them were under the age of 20, I guarantee it. Again, I met a girl who was 14. And they've been pushed, this whole diversity thing, their entire lives. They know no different than group identity, and they cling to it and oppose anyone that's different. We've created this. Our culture, our progressive culture, created the anti-Trump rally. Uh, Let me make one last point. Another example of thoughtlessness. I think bringing a Mexican flag to a rally like that, I think that's thoughtless. You're not thinking straight. You're not helping your cause. Got another example of thoughtlessness here. There was a woman there. She was uh, 40. She looked white. But her two sons, maybe I know one was 16, the other was maybe 10. Her two sons are Muslim. And mom was holding a sign. And now keep in mind, maybe I'm not doing a good job painting this picture. On our Facebook page, you can see we have some video from inside everything. Um, I mean, we're talking, I don't know, 200 protesters screaming F Trump, F Trump. It's pretty dicey, right? Like um, 20 police officers on top of their horses, separating the groups, masks over faces, bandanas over faces, Mexican flags. Like it's like it's pretty on the shady side. So this mom's holding a sign about bullying, And how Trump's rhetoric is making her son be bullied at school. So I go up and I talk to the mom. I say, oh my God, what's going on? And she's blaming the rhetoric of Trump encouraging her her son to be bullied because her her son's a a Muslim. So I talk to the kid and I say, I say, buddy, man, what's going on? What's going on at school? And he says, oh, kids are throwing pepperoni at me because I'm Muslim and they they call me a terrorist. It's terrible. But this lady is at an F Trump protest. F Trump rally. And she's complaining about bullies. She's a bully. And I said that to her. I said, Mom, what are you teaching your kids by being here? I'm trying to make it as clear as possible. I said, what message are you sending your kids? And she she said something like, I got to look at the video again, but she said something like, I'm teaching them it's okay or, or you need to stand up against what is wrong or something like that. And I said, are you teaching your kids it's okay to yell F you to people who disagree, who you disagree with? And she says, that's not what I'm doing. I said, look around. I said, look at the sign your son is holding. Now the sign, now if you have any kids listening, I'll try to do this gingerly. The sign said, F Trump spelled out, but the F and the T were were switched. Right? So it didn't say F Trump. It said, the F word started with T, spelled out, and then Trump started with F. So it said, you know, blank Trump or, or Frump. Are you with me? Okay. 16-year-old son's holding that sign with the 10-year-old right there. Okay. So she's like, well, I'm not yelling. I'm like, look at that. And she tried to pass that off as well. It doesn't say the F word. Mom, come on. And seriously, I imagined this family driving away from this protest, going home, and, and there's no way. There's no way she could think that this was a proud moment for her family to be a part of that. There's no way. 
these kids are yelling bad things at her son. They're bullying her son. And then she turns around and teaches them that it's okay to yell F you at people that you disagree with. It's pretty thoughtless. Martin Luther King Jr. had a great story. We share it every once in a while. Talking about how he's uh, driving in Chattanooga with his brother. His brother's driving. And for whatever reason, people weren't dimming their, their headlights, right, when they're coming the other way. So they kept getting blinded. And it happened time and time again. And finally, MLK's brother's like, all right, I'm sick of this. The next car that comes around, I'm not dimming my lights either. I'm pouring it on them. And MLK said, no, man, don't do that. If you do that, then there's going to be way too much light on this highway, and we're all going to crash. He said, somebody's got to have some sense on this highway. I love that line. Somebody's got to have some sense. And he said, you got to see that force begets force, hate begets hate, toughness begets toughness, and it's all a descending spiral, ultimately ending in destruction for all and everybody. And somebody's got to have enough sense and morality to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in this universe, and you do that by love. And they'll say, yeah, but I'm angry. The Trump supporters think I'm a rapist and a murderer and a terrorist. Okay, right. Okay, if they think that about you, you're going to what? Change their mind by, by what? Flipping over a police car? You're going to do that mind by change their mind by screaming F Trump in their face? I know you're angry. What's the point? What are you doing? When you're angry, that's all the more reason to come back with love. If that's your true motive, which I don't think it is, because after the rally was over, now we snuck out a little bit early and we went out the back media exit before the craziness happened, before the riots happened. That scary stuff happened at the Trump after the Trump rally. And it looked like there were more protesters. I think these protesters left. They came back with more people who clearly don't want to change people's minds. They don't want to change people's perception about them. I'm sure you saw the video of a couple in their car, small little car. A hundred protesters circled their car. And there was nowhere the person could go because they're all, oh, so they blocked traffic. They blocked the parking lot so they couldn't get out. Right, so every, all the cars are in line. They surround one of the cars, start shaking it, start banging on the window, start spitting on it, start writing with a marker on it, DFT or, or FDT, F Donald Trump, writing all over it, slamming the windows, screaming, yelling. Couples inside freaking out, as you would. And there's nowhere the person can go. First of all, the car's right in front of them, so they can't drive forward. But even if they could, if they drove and they, oh, they nicked someone's foot, then they'd be charged for vehicular homicide. Right? They'd be sued for everything. Or you just stay in your car, and then who knows what's going to happen. Bust the window, open the door, pull you out. You have no clue. I'm thinking about myself in there with my wife. She'd be panicked. So what are you doing? Slamming on the window. Stop thinking that I'm a murderer. Stop thinking I'm a bad person. Scaring the the crap out of him. What are you doing? Amazing. I just read in the LA Times during the last break that the the, uh, Hispanic groups are planning more protests. Not making any friends. Whatever you put out there, you will get back. I don't know when you're going to learn that lesson. Not you. We. When are we? Humanity. <laughs> going to learn that lesson. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to Mike Slater. Oh, Slater Crusaders, how are you? We only got three minutes left. Hate that. We'll be back next week. Um, we mentioned earlier, article in the AP, pepper spray flies during Trump protest clash in California. Now, this was actually the day before everything I was just talking about. Um, now, we made the point earlier that you have to go to the fourth paragraph before they tell you who pepper sprayed whom. And it turns out that it was anti-Trump people protested or, or pepper sprayed Trump supporters, including an eight and an 11 year old girl. Who were Hispanic. But, okay, so, but, but it doesn't fit the narrative, so they buried that. So if you just read the headline, you're like, oh, violent Trump supporters. Like, no, no. Quite the opposite. And here's why this is important. No, be careful with these. When we get to the convention, be aware of vague headlines. Pepper spray flies during Trump protests, as opposed to Anti-Trump protesters spray children in face with pepper spray. One specific one's like super vague and passive. This is what's going to happen in Cleveland at the GOP convention. We're going to be there, by the way. And there's going to be, I don't know, I've never been to one. 10,000 Republicans there. I have no clue. And the Republicans are going to go. I'm going to go. And I'm going to wake up in the morning and have some breakfast and then go to the convention hall and do a show and then grab a sandwich for lunch and then go... Uh, get some dinner later and then go home go back and go to bed and we'll do that for like three or four nights and that's it like i guarantee you that it will be 100 percent non-violent and peaceful and maybe you get a trump supporter crew supporter hollering at each other for this or that or whatever but it, that's the way it goes but that's not how it's going to go because there's also going to be a couple thousand protesters there causing trouble they're going to riot they're going to pepper spray they're going to throw things and, and light cars on fire and break windows. And it's going to be entirely framed as riots at GOP convention. Violent GOP convention rages on in Cleveland. Five injured as GOP convention violence escalates with no suggestion at all that people in the Republican Party aren't doing anything. It's entirely people from the outside coming in to cause trouble. Right? It's going to be an ugly convention, maybe inside the hall. By the way, in the past, and we'll get to this when we get a little closer to it, um, there have been Republican conventions where they had people with clubs outside of the front door preventing other delegates from coming in. Uh, Bombs have exploded in the lobby of hotels and convention halls to prevent people from voting. Like, There's been crazy conventions. Inside, maybe. Outside, without a doubt. And it's not going to be any of our fault. But that's not how the media is going to gonna uh, spin it of course be aware of that theblaze.com slash radio for this podcast please spread it far and wide if you agree with our message and you can search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook we can hang out all week long have a wonderful rest of your weekend and we'll see you next Saturday Mike Slater show spread the word you're listening to Mike Slater on the blaze radio network